them turned around and came back to Jesus and said, we want to say thank you for what you have done in uh, our lives. Only one did. Now, Jesus noticed that because the Scripture says that Jesus said to the one that came back, weren't there ten that were healed? How come only one of you returned to me with thanksgiving? Apparently to Jesus, it's not enough just for us to call on him when we have needs, though we found out last week he desperately wants to hear our call to him for mercy in our lives. The issue is, are we thankful when God answers our prayer? I think just by human nature, for the most of us, we're more like the nine rather than the one. We have busy schedules and people we want to talk to, and we forget that God has done the impossible in our lives, and so we uh, just leave that uh, to uh, silence rather than giving him thanks. Two years ago this uh, spring, uh, two years ago this fall, our financial team came to us as a team of elders and staff and said, uh, we are in a financial pinch and we uh, need the Lord to step up and step in to uh, assist us in this area. And one of the things that we just determined that should happen and that needed to happen, but we didn't know how it would happen, was that we uh, ought to attempt to uh, refinance the, the, the mortgage on this, on this building. We tried. We worked hard. Our financial team uh, went to our uh, current loaner, uh, 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 people that held our loan at the time, uh, and asked them, told them what the need was, and they barely wiggled it all on what they were <clears throat> willing to do. The need was still there. And God knew it. And people were faithfully calling out to God and saying, God, we just need your help in this area. This past sun summer, Malcolm Puckett, representative with uh, Christian Financial Resources, gave me a phone call one day. It was an odd phone call. He said, Neil, we were talking, our staff, just yesterday, and uh, we were talking about Chester Christian Church. And he said, I just want to know, were you guys able to refinance your loan? And I said, no. And he said, we want to do it for you. Now, to not understand that that was a movement of God is, would be totally kind of stupid because CFR stepped in to a congregation that we were struggling financially and, and we, just, we were paying all the bills. That wasn't an issue, uh, but we had already had to lay off some staff and we had already uh, had to cut back in all kinds of areas in our men, ministry just to try to make ends meet. They came to us with an incredible rate they came to us and they said, we want to give you a period of time to get back on your feet. And this was their offer to us. They said, uh, for the next uh, 12 months after you've uh, refinanced with us, we want you to pay principal only, no interest to us at all. That's incredible. That's a huge, huge, massive, massive savings that we will incur over the next 12 months. We shared with you uh, 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 several weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, that uh, it was our desire uh, and their desire to close on the loan uh, this, this week. But we shared with you that we did not have the cash in hand to be able to do that. Uh, we needed uh, some money, and if I remember right, it was about $19,000 uh, 
something like that to make that uh, happen. We would called our, all of our elders and staff and church leaders to a time of prayer and fasting for that financial need, that God would increase uh, our commitment level as a congregation, and that he would dramatically raise the evangelistic fervor here at Chester Christian Church. And we asked them to do that through the end of uh, December and to spend one day fasting. And I know that many of them have been doing that very thing. We came a couple weeks ago with you with a very real need. And we said, we've got to have a miraculous size offering to make this thing happen. The bank's not going to wiggle anymore. They've done all they can. It's a Christian financial institution, but, I mean, they, they can only go so far, and they've gone as far as they can. But we need a miraculous kind of an offering. We shared that with you two Sundays ago, and immediately after church, you started stepping up to the plate. And gifts were given before people had ever even left this building, and more that afternoon and during that week and last week. I got to get, put this in perspective. Our average income this year, and it's been a little bit low. I've got to tell you that it's not making allowing us to meet budget. Is, but we've been getting in from you about forty-three thousand dollars a month, and that's incredible for a congregation our size. But it was not just just not meet, quite meeting the need. Forty-three thousand dollars a month, folks. In the last two weeks. You've given just dollars shy of $40,000. And that's an amazing amount of money. I'm convinced that when you share your need with God and you share the need with people, that God works through us to meet that need. And we would be absolutely, absolutely wrong not to go back to the Lord our God and say thank you for what you have done. I'm going to ask you in a moment if you're physically able. I do this a lot of times. If you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to take a knee. If you can't physically do that, uh, I understand that uh, in your spirit. Just humble yourself before the Lord. And this is what I would like for us to do today. I would like for us to pray in unison all together, just calling out to God, you can whisper a prayer, you can speak, pray it softly, you can pray it loudly, thanking God for what he's done. Now, I know that for some people, that is the most uncomfortable thing in the world, to pray out loud in front of anybody else. But this is a ticket. Everybody's going to be praying at the same time, okay? And if all you can say is thank you, Jesus, for what you've done, that's great. Let's go to our knees. I'll give us time to thank the Lord, and I'll close us out in prayer this morning. Let's pray aloud together this morning, thanking God for what he's done.
Father, I am convinced that when we work on our own, we get only what we can do on our own. But I am totally convinced that when we have bold faith and pray bold prayers and have boldness in our work and those three things join together that you provide unbelievable uh, things in our midst. God, Isaiah says, forget the past. See, I am doing a new thing right now in your midst. And Father, I thank you for the things that you've done in the past for us individually and for this congregation. But Father, right now today, Lord, we want to thank you for the new thing that you're doing right here. Father, we pray that you will break out your spirit amongst us. And Lord, that there will be a a spirit of generosity in this congregation that will not make the mistake of patting ourselves on the back and saying, look what we did, but that we will see what you can do as we are constantly generous before you. Father, I pray that you will break out just a spirit of, of commitment that we have never seen in this congregation before. Folks stepping up to the plate and saying, how can I help out and how can I be involved? And Father, I pray that people will see their actions, no matter whether they're speaking or singing from the stage or whether they're cleaning toilets or changing light bulbs or inviting a friend to church. Father, that we would see those actions, all of them together, as the courageous actions uh, before you raise our commitment level. And Father, I just pray that you will expand our evangelistic zeal as never before. Father, we have neglected our neighbors, have not invited them to church as we should. We've neglected people that we shop with at Walmart or, or that we eat beside at Wendy's. For long enough, Father, and I just pray that you will cause us just an evangelistic zeal to break out in this congregation uh, for this village as never before. Father God, we are truly humbled. Humbled, Father, that you listen to our cry for help, for mercy. And that you use these people to do an incredible thing in the last couple of weeks. Father, Tuesday was an incredibly humbling day. As our trustees went to the attorney's office and, and signed off on the refinance loan for this property because, Father, we know that it wasn't us that made it happen. It was a bold, hard work that got us there, yes. It was bold prayers that got us there, yes. But it was a bold faith in what you could do that brought us to that table, and we are grateful. Now, Father, will you use this week, this day, this week, as a stepping stone to what you want to see happen here at Chester Christian Church? Break out in our midst through your Holy Spirit and raise our desire to share Jesus Christ with lost friends and neighbors and co-workers until Jesus comes. And until that day, Father, 
Help us to be faithful. Help us to be in tune. Help us to stay at the task. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Thank you so much for praying that way and rise to your seats and let's bring the lights up and get into the study of God's word together today. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, the 11th chapter once again, the passage I asked you to look at as we started the service this morning, Mark chapter 11. The title of my message today is My House, The Power of Bold Faith, Bold Prayer, and Bold Work. Let's join together and study what Scripture has to say uh, about that. uh, Mark chapter 11, we'll begin with verse 1. And we're going to study all the way down to verse 25 together today. So I hope you have uh, the sermon section in your program. Take notes or your journal or notebook uh, so that you can take notes on the message this morning and use this as a time uh, of study and a time of uh, focus on God's Word even during the week uh, as uh, you have opportunity to discuss with other people in small group uh, as you do regularly uh, the message or with your friends or your neighbors or you think about it yourself. That's really, really cool. Now, last Sunday, I told you that I wanted to share two Sundays on prayer-empowered ministry. That's been uh, a key in my heart for so many years, over a decade now, uh, to uh, attempt to build a church that is focused on on, uh, not just having a prayer ministry, but focused on uh, everything from uh, everything that we do to be focused on prayer. And sometimes we've done a good job of doing that, sometimes that we haven't. But last Sunday, uh, in the message, uh, we looked at three levels of prayer. If you were with us last Sunday, I talked about all for me, kind of selfish praying. Uh, I talked about have mercy prayer, that uh, anytime we're in a crisis, God just loves to hear us call out to Him and say, Lord, have mercy on us, and, uh, and He does that. And then finally, uh, we focused on all for Him praying. And I asked you, I said, would you pray with me? Just join with me for the next 30 days. Would you pray for 30 days? Uh, one prayer, just one prayer, and that was for evangelistic boldness here within the congregation. And God uh, has been faithful, and many of you have been doing that. And I just want you to encourage you uh, to be praying that one prayer. God, give us a boldness uh, to share our faith uh, with people around us. And we'll talk more about that uh, this morning before we get done. Now, I believe with all my heart that God has staged Chester Christian Church for the greatest season of evangelistic fervor during, my, uh, during, 2000, uh, during the next year, 2015, than ever before in our church's history. I believe that with all of my heart. But it's going to take and require a supernatural boldness in three areas. In our faith, in our prayers, and in our work. I graduated from Johnson Bible College in, 19, uh, in 1977. Johnson Bible College was founded in 1893 by Ashley S. Johnson. It was only the second Bible college in the entire country. Only the second. And uh, it was trying days in the early days. The entire, uh, 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 the entire campus was housed in a single building, and it burned down uh, in one fire one, uh, one afternoon. And it was a challenging time. But Ashley S. Johnson founded the, what was then known as the School of the Evangelists, later to become 
Johnson Bible College, today Johnson University, and it has three campuses, one in Knoxville, Tennessee, where I went, one in Orlando, Florida, where I wish I could have gone, and uh, if I ever choose to go back, that would be where I go, and then thirdly, the online campus where I received my graduate degree uh, from. But that school was built by Ashley S. Johnson on three words, faith, prayer, and work. He said that we ought to have faith as if everything depends on our faith. We ought to pray as if everything depends on our prayer. Then we ought to work as if everything depends on our work. I believe the last two weeks offering is an illustration of those three words working together. And I want to tell you, if we seize this season of evangelistic fervor, and if we see hundreds of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of our hard work in the coming months, it is only going to be the result of our bold faith and our bold prayer and our bold work. I believe this story shares an illustration of this and explains why those three things, those three words, faith, prayer, and work, have to go together. This is a story that has, has multiple parts, and I, I thought what I would do today is just kind of break it down to you by giving you four different slices in this story, all right? Four different slices, and so let's look at slice number one, and I certainly uh, simply entitled slice number one, The Prayer on the Road. The Prayer on the Road. It's found in verse 1 through 10. Now look at your Bibles in verse 1. It says, They approached Jerusalem and uh, Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden on. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say to them, The Lord needs it, and will send it back to you uh, shortly. And when they went and found a colt uh, outside in the street, tied at the door, and as they untied it, some people uh, began who were standing there uh, were asking them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to do, and the people let them go. Now as we read this section of Scripture this morning, we're going to read about Jesus entering into Jerusalem, riding on a colt. Uh, the, the foal, male foal uh, of a donkey that had never been ridden before. Folks, that's an image of humility. It was through humility that Jesus went to the cross. But I want to tell you something, that right now today, we do not serve a humble, lowly Savior. Rather, we serve a victorious Savior who is sitting in heaven waiting right now for God's word to return back for his church. You don't believe that? Leave a thumb right here in this section of scripture and go with me to the last, to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and I want you to see what it says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, on down for the next few verses, as it describes Jesus' positioning right now in heaven. It says in verse 11, Revelation 19, 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. And with justice, he, he, uh, uh, and with justice, uh, he uh, judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him that no one but himself understands. And he is dressed 
in a, a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. That's Jesus. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of God's fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Folks, Jesus came into Jerusalem in Mark chapter 11 as a lowly servant, humbling himself to the very point of the cross. But Philippians chapter 2 says that because of that, God has highly exalted him. And Jesus Christ now stands poised and ready in heaven for his soon return. And I just got to ask you, my friend, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus' return? What about the members of your family? What about the neighbors that live around you? If Jesus were to come this afternoon and there's absolutely no prophetic reason why he should not come this afternoon, will you be ready? Will they be ready? Jesus is coming again. Verse 7 down to verse 10 describes uh, the, the cloaks that were thrown over the camel, uh, over the colt. It says in verse 7, uh, they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it, and many people spread their cloaks on the, grant, on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead uh, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, I call this the prayer on the road, and you may be saying, where's the prayer in this section of Scripture? The prayer is in one word. The word is Hosanna. Let me give you the translation of the word Hosanna. It comes from two Hebrew words. The first is Yasha, Y-A-S-H-A, that is the word for save. The other word in the, this compound word is the word na, N-A. It's the word pray. Literally, when they cried out Hosanna, they were screaming, save, we pray. I was going to tell you, whether you realize it or not, there are people all around you every single day, everywhere you go, that that's the cry of their heart. Now, they may not say it, they may scream it in a bottle. Or may they, they may scream it at a, a dead-end place in their life. They may scream it at the result of a, a broken family or a broken marriage. They may scream it in bankruptcy. They may scream it in the loss of a job. But what are they screaming? Even though you may not hear it, they are screaming, God, save us, we pray question is, will you be the one there to share with those longing for a Savior? That's the first slice, the prayer on the road. Second slice is I simply call it the barren tree, the barren tree. Now, I got to tell you, as I was studying this section of Scripture months ago, and, and, and even coming back to it uh, the first part of this week, 
Uh, I really was puzzled with this section of scripture, and I was just about ready to leave it out of the sermon because I thought, this makes no sense. It's out of character for Jesus. It just doesn't seem like it would be something Jesus would do. And in my mind, I thought, well, it doesn't have anything to do with the story. Let's read it together, and uh, I'll just leave you to ponder uh, why Jesus did this for a few moments. In verse 11, the Bible says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts, and he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next morning, when they were leaving Bethany, going back into Jerusalem, Jesus was hungry. Watch this. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. That's the key phrase. A fig tree in leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard what he had to say. Now at first glance, this seems totally out of place. Seems totally against the nature of Jesus. After all, Jesus knew everything. Wouldn't Jesus know that this tree wouldn't have any fruit on it? By the way, Jesus created all things. He understands how all things grow. And Jesus was a very smart man. And Jesus would have realized this. You see, this was Passover. Our Easter time. That always happened sometime in March, late March, or April, right? That's when Passover already... This is a yes. That's a right. Okay, good, 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 good. Now, during Passover time fig trees were just like trees in our area. They're not in full leaf. They are just beginning to bud. Just beginning to bud. And trees that are just beginning to bud would never have figs, fruit on them. You ever seen an apple tree just beginning to bloom and bud in the spring that's also full of apples? Of course not. You wouldn't even expect it to have any apples on it. Why? Because first the bud, the bloom, then the leaves, and later in season, the fruit comes. You see, once a fig tree in Palestine came uh, to full growth and the leaves were out full, then it was that the figs would come on the tree, and that would usually happen mid-June somewhere. Jesus comes to this tree, an exceptional tree, and that shouldn't seem, should not seem odd to us because in Jesus, the one that provides a fish to gobble up a guy by the name of Jonah? Isn't Jesus the one that provides a burning bush uh, that, stay, that lights and stays on fire? Jesus loves doing uh, uh, through uh, the exceptional things. And so it shouldn't uh, be amazing to us that Jesus finds this exceptional tree. But why does Jesus curse the tree? Why does he do that? Doesn't he understand uh, trees? Well, I'd say yes, he understands everything about trees. Doesn't he understand seasons? I would say yes, Jesus understands everything about seasons. So why curse the tree? Hang tight, we'll get to that. We come to the third slice of the pie this morning, and it's titled The Father's House in verse uh, 15 down to verse 17. Let's read it together. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling. 
And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of, the, uh, of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written? Highlight this next phrase. My house will be a house, called a house of prayer for all nations. But you've made it into a den of robbers. Cheryl Sachs, in her, one of my favorite books on prayer, entitled Prayer Saturated Church, makes this statement. She says, it's really a question, she says, if Jesus were to visit our church next Sunday, and we were to give him complete freedom to conduct the service in any way he wanted, what do you think Jesus would do? Now, i got to tell you that Jesus upset every church service that he ever attended. And there's not one church service that Jesus came into and he walked away and said, great church service, folks. I loved it. I was so blessed. You remember in Luke chapter uh, uh, 4, Jesus goes home to his home uh, tabernacle, uh, home synagogue, and he goes in and he reads the scripture and everybody says, oh, we're so proud of our preacher boy. And then Jesus begins to give application and by the end of the service, they had taken Jesus and driven him out of the, uh, 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 out of the uh, uh, synagogue to the edge of the hill, the cliff that the city was built on, and they were about ready to throw him off the, off the cliff. Now that's a guy upsetting a church service. Would you agree with me on that? This section of scripture, we see Jesus doing exactly the same thing as he drives out the merchants and the profiteers. Notice especially, he talks about turning over the tables of those selling doves. Why would that be important? In Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 7, it says that doves were the sacrifices given by the poorest of worshipers. And in Luke chapter 2 and verse 24, when Jesus' parents consecrated Jesus to the Lord at the temple, they gave an offering of two doves. You see, when Jesus says in verse 17, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of robbers, Jesus was saying, folks, you have ripped the very heart out of uh, my father's house with your personal agendas and with your programming, and I will not tolerate it. Wes Tullis writes, and he says, when we invite God to dwell in our midst, it is an invitation for him to dismantle everything that the Holy Spirit did not initiate. Friends, as you look at your own personal life, your, your own personal life, I wonder what would it be in your own life that the Holy Spirit would need to dismantle before you could be a bold and powerful evangelist for Jesus Christ. And folks, I wonder about this church right here that we're setting in today as, as Jesus is dismantling us in a very real way. What is it about us that he would need to change totally, totally to get us on his own agenda. Well, that's slice number three. Slice number four was where we started this morning and where I really just couldn't wait to get back to. Let's read it together. To verse 18 down to verse 25 is this section of scripture, but in verse 18 and 19, we read these words. The chief priests and teachers of the law heard what Jesus had said, 
and they began looking for a way to kill him. Remember I said Jesus never entered a worship service that he did not just turn it totally on its ear. Uh, This is the second time we see Jesus in a worship service with people at the end of it wanting to kill him because they could not stand what he was trying to do. It says they were looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Matthew, in Matthew 21, verse 14, says, The blind and lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them there. And when the chief priests saw the wonderful things that he was doing and heard the children singing, Hosanna to the Son of David, they became indignant. In the next several verses, Jesus, I believe, describes for us what bold faith and bold prayer and bold work are all about. Let's look at these things, and then we'll be done this morning. Number one, bold faith. What does bold faith look like? In verse 20, down to verse 23, Jesus explains. He says, in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, you have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea, but does not doubt in their heart, but believes what, that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Bold faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 describes what faith is. It says faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's the assurance of what we do not know. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, we live by faith and not by sight. Hebrews chapter 11 verse uh, verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Folks, if you have a small faith, I want to tell you, don't beat yourself up over it, all right? Don't beat yourself up over the smallness of your faith. Because it's never about your faith, the size of it. It's about the size of the God that you have faith in. Can I get an amen on that? And there's a huge difference in that. My favorite verse in the Old Testament is Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, where Zechariah says, it's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Bold faith. Number two, Jesus describes bold prayer in verse 24. In verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you, will have re- that you have received it, and it will be yours. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11 says, Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. The word is boldness. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. John chapter 14, verse 12 and 13, Jesus says this powerful statement. He says, listen, friends, he says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and will do even greater things because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask for in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Folks, I want to tell you something. If that kind of bold praying just frustrates you, don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. I know you want to pray boldly. 
And I know it's hard to pray boldly. Sometimes it's difficult for us to believe that God will even hear our prayers, much less answer our prayers. But folks, I want to tell you, bold praying has nothing to do with you saying the right words. It has everything to do with the right persistence. Jesus says in that most wonderful parable in Luke chapter 18, the first eight verses, he says, be persistent in prayer and don't give up. Be like the widow that kept knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking until the door was open. Folks, if you've prayed the same prayer 32 gazillion times and the Lord has not answered it yet, you know what I tell you to do? Pray it 32 gazillion and one and keep on praying until the Lord answers your prayer. Bold faith, bold prayer, bold work. Verse 25 talks about this. He says, and when you stand praying, and if, anything, uh, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Jot down uh, Ezekiel chapter 46 and read it on your own this afternoon. It describes a river of God that flows from the very temple, the altar of the temple of God in the temple, and it flows out to all the nations. And the farther it flows, the deeper and wider the river gets. And it's God's grace flowing from the very temple of God to people all around it, blessing them. John 7, verse 38, Jesus says, Believe me, uh, for those who believe in me, he says rivers of living water will flow from within them and impact the people around them is the emphasis. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1 and 2 talks about the river of life that is in the very middle of heaven itself that flows from the very throne of God bringing healing to the nations. Folks, I want to tell you something. The course of the river of God, the course of the river of God in our day is not determined by human decisions. It's not determined by by our strategic thinking but rather it is solely the choice of the Spirit of God. But I want you to understand there is nothing that influences the course of the river of God into whose life around us it will touch and bless more than saints being on their knees in prayer. That's why Satan builds roadblocks to our bold faith, our bold prayer, and our bold work. That's what he talks about in verse 25. A roadblock. You have something against you, you're not going to be able to pray. You're not going to be able to work strongly for Jesus. Whenever he can create unforgiving hearts or sinful hearts or selfish hearts in the Lord's church, he can block the river's flow. That's the gospel. He can block its flow to everyone, everyone around. But if that kind of scares you, that I'm calling you to a boldness of evangelism and work, chill. Because it's not about you. It's not about you. Let me explain. I want to give you a strategy to extend the river's flow uh, from your heart, your life, from this church, to your neighborhood, to people that you work around, uh, and the people that you just want to see come to know Jesus. It's called the prayer, care, share strategy. Write down these three next words. Prayer, care, and share. Let me explain them to you. Folks, 90% of all of us here do not have the gift of evangelism. 
Now, there are a few people here uh, who could sell ice to an Eskimo that would go up to any person any time and talk to them about Jesus. Uh, only about 10% of us ha have the guts to do that. All the rest of us want to pass out, you know, when we're thinking, i got to talk to somebody about Jesus. You ain't kidding me. Uh, you know, I would rather do anything than that. Remember, it's not about you folks. It's about the Lord working inside of you. 90% of people don't have the gift of evangelism, but I want to tell you, everybody, 100% of disciples of Jesus, can pray, can pray for their neighbors or their co-workers or people that they know that don't know Jesus by name every single day. Anybody can do that. And that leads to the second one, care. You see, it's not about you finding out ways to go out and show your neighbors that you love them. Not about baking pies or coming up with a strategy to say, uh, I'm going to wash cars or give them water bottles. It's none of that, although it involves those things. You see, when you begin praying for someone that doesn't know Jesus by name every day, the Holy Spirit begin, begins doing a work inside of you. And lo and behold, you soon begin caring for people that you never cared about before. You see, if I just gave you the strategy, hey, I want you to go out and invite people to come to church, you know who you'd invite to come to church? People, number one, probably are already going to somebody else's church. They're the, uh, but disgruntled, those are the easiest to get. Uh, but secondly, you would invite people to look just like you, all right? Just exactly like you. They act like you. Why? Because those are the people you are comfortable in talking to. But this is what the Holy Spirit does. You begin praying for neighbors by name, co-workers by name, and God will begin causing you to care for the ones that you have never cared for before in your life. That you might not even like. They just gall you in the things that they do. But somehow the Holy Spirit is causing you from the inside out to begin caring for them. And then the third supernatural thing will happen. The Holy Spirit will give you words to speak and those divine appointments that he sets up for you. You see, it's not about you. It's not about what you can do. It's about what the Holy Spirit of God and only the Holy Spirit of God can do through you. And that brings us to the last word of today, the word that I closed out with this past Sunday, uh, and that is the word grace. Because, folks, if it was all about us, if I were just trying to throw at you another thing you've got to do, then you'd feel pressured and say, oh, man, something else I've got to do. But it's about grace from beginning to end. Because you know what Jesus is doing as you begin praying and caring and sharing for your neighbors? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 34 through 39, it says that Jesus Christ right now is at the right hand of God interceding for you. And nothing, the Bible says, can separate you from his love for you. Not about you. Not about me. It's about what God can do in our midst through us. Let's pray together. Father, you are an amazing God.
And every religion in the world tries to convince its uh, adherents that they've got to work hard and do lots of things to uh, get your approval. But Father, in reality, there's absolutely nothing we can do to get your approval, and we don't even need to. You have uh, given your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us, and we don't deserve that. You have filled us with your Holy Spirit to give us, uh, uh, to change us from the inside out, and we don't deserve that. Your son sets right now by your right hand, right now, physically by your right hand, interceding for us because he just wants us to be bold. Bold in our faith, bold in our work and our prayers, and bold in our work. Not because of anything we can do, because he, but rather because he wants to show his boldness through us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for sacrificing for us. Thank you for showing us the way of boldness. And Father, just help us to follow him in that way. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you have something that you need a prayer for, you have someone that you want to have someone pray over you with, uh, uh, someone that you just want to see come to know Jesus or that they're hurting, if you want to become a Christian, I'll be over by the cross this morning as we close out in this song. You can just come to me, and I'll be glad to do that. Let's stand together and let's sing.